Good morning, Hi. Glenn Barth. Hi, Glenn. It's Amy. Hi, Amy. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Hey, did you press uh, the pound sign or the uh, the star key when you came in? The pound. Could you could you go back out and uh, come back in one more time? This time, press the star key. It'll give us the ability to mute everybody but you and me. Oh, okay, sure. I'll call you right back. All right, Bye. good. Thanks. Anybody else on the line here? Amy Shorman. Good morning, Amy. There, that's better. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Sometimes we get background noise, and today we'll have a pretty good-sized group, uh, somewhere around uh, 12 to 15. And, um, you know, it's, it's always fun for me. It's, it's not a huge group. I mean, uh, these days people often will look for the recording <laughs> rather than the original piece. But uh, it's, good. it's good that there's that much interest, and people love to hear from you. Well, I think it's fun, so I'm glad to be here. And I've got a young friend from Indianapolis that's going to be on. He's in his early 20s and a really wonderful, earnest young believer, and I'm excited to introduce him to Good Cities. Great, great. Well, that's exciting. Good morning. As you come on, give us your name and where you're from. Uh, Patrick Keith from Minneapolis. Hi, Patrick. Nice to have you on the call today. Thank you. We're going to wait for a little bit for a number of folks to check in on the call, and uh, and and then we'll get going with the. Uh, interview and uh, Patrick we're so glad you could join us Amy's on the line right now as well okay we, uh, we expect there'll be a good number more in fact I, I just have to check my instructions I'll knock out the uh, entry and exit cone soon but hey if you've just joined us give us your name and where you're from Neil Cox in Annapolis Neil, so good to hear your voice again. It's been a long time, brother. Yeah. Neil, do you have somebody there with you? It sounds like I hear somebody in the background. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to. Uh, I'll have to mute myself. I've got a uh, three-year-old uh, grandson here. Oh my goodness! Well. You know how to do that probably with your own yeah. controls, but, you know, you're yep. such a techie. <laughs> no, no, but but I can do that. If you've just joined us, give us your name and where you're from. Hey, Glenn, uh, Scott Myers, Akron, Ohio. 
Scott. Welcome to the call. Glad to have you today. Good to be here. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be coming out to Cleveland tomorrow evening or tomorrow uh, afternoon. I expect I'll be in Cleveland. All right. So it'll be good to be in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I'll see you for lunch. Yes, on Sunday. Hey, if you've just joined the call, please give us your name and where you're from. Hi, I'm Jacob Baldwin from Indianapolis, Indiana. Jacob, nice to have you on the call. Good to be here. Good. I'm going to turn off the uh, entry and exit tones, so it'll keep it a little bit quieter here. Just give me one second here. If you've just joined the call, please give us your name and where you're from. My name is Tim Winkleman. I'm from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hi, Tim. Well, for whatever reason, we're getting a little bit of echoing. If someone has a speakerphone on, if you could try to perhaps move to maybe turn the speakerphone off. Just try that. In the first part of our call, we might just recommend that you mute your line while we do an interview, and then you can unmute your line when you'd like to ask a question. Are others hearing this echoing? I am. I am. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to mute all callers. And uh, this and, uh, will give us a give chance us a, to yeah, perhaps get away from, get away from hearing, hearing all of the, all of the, uh, the uh, echoing. So uh, uh, we'll, I'll yeah, unmute I'll the, the lines when we get past the initial interview. Now, is the echoing gone? I think it is. Uh, Amy, you're the only one who can answer me right now. Oh, okay. Yes, the, the, uh, it's gone from... From what I'm hearing. Good, good. Well, I think that'll make for a, a better interview. And uh, and then when we unmute the lines, we want to encourage all of you who are on the call right now to mute your line for the first half of the call. And in the second half of the call, we'll unmute uh, all the lines and we'll give you a chance to ask your questions or make comments following the, uh, the initial interview. So uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, that we are privileged to be able to gather for this call called Business is Doing Good. And what we're doing is we're lifting up uh, examples around the country through this phone call of businesses that include in their business model doing good in their local community. And we're encouraging communities of practice to grow up all over the nation so that uh, more and more businesses include in their business model uh, ways in which they can address critical issues in their communities. And, uh, and we've been doing this call now for a little bit over a year. We're, uh, we're pleased today to have with us a, uh, a leader who a lot of folks have come to look to for her insights as she's interviewed many business leaders around the country uh, for their impact, to understand their impact in local communities. She's the senior fellow 
at uh, the Sagamore Institute Center on Faith in Communities. The Center on Faith in Communities provides training, technical assistance, and consulting to faith-based and community-based social service providers and to religious congregations desiring to invest more effectively in their neighborhoods. She's the author of six books and over 80 articles and essays. Uh, in addition to that, some of you may know her from her book, Kingdom Calling, Vocational Stewardship for the Common Good, in which she uh, won recent awards and honors as Christianity Today's uh, choice as book of the year in the Christian living category. Um, she's earned a BA in political science from Messiah College and has an MA and PhD in international economic development from the University of Virginia. She volunteers as senior fellow with the International Justice Mission and is a longtime member of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. We want to welcome to our call today, Amy Sherman. It's a delight to be here. Great. Amy, today I'd like us to do a little storytelling. As you look out on the landscape of cities and communities in our nation, tell us about what we at Good Cities are calling businesses doing good. How, how are leaders of for-profit organizations integrating the welfare of their city or community into their business models? Yeah, I'd love to uh, tell three quick stories. Um, the first comes from uh, Denver. There's a company in Denver called L&R uh, Pallet Company. Uh, they make those wooden pallets that you see if you are in a big warehouse um, with the forklifts driving around and all that sort of thing. The company was uh, founded in 1974 by the Rudder family and is um, currently owned and operated by uh, James Rudder, the son of the founder. And um, basically the way that um, James has turned this company around is, is really amazing. He has a, a workforce of about 120 employees, and 70% of them uh, are refugees. Uh, Denver is a, an area where a lot of refugee resettlement uh, occurs. And uh, back in uh, 2013, he received a phone call from a refugee resettlement agency uh, looking to see whether he would be open to hiring uh, some of these newcomers to the United States. And he gave, uh, gave that a try. And um, it ended up being an amazing thing. Uh, but the bottom line for James I think, is that what's happened to him is as a result of his Christian faith, he has just really radically uh, decided to um, create a very supportive workplace environment uh, for his people. Um, they have dramatically improved their <clears throat> workplace safety. <clears throat> Excuse me. He uh, actually has uh, one full-time and one half-time people on staff whose job it is to just really assist these refugee employees uh, and really all employees with different issues they might be struggling with, um, with housing, uh, with uh, court issues. Um, he uh, provides, they provide uh, English teaching um, on site, uh, just, just an array of services coming around in a supportive way of these employees. And it really has been the salvation of his business because um, at one point several years ago, the company was really in dire straits. And a big part of that had to do with their 
employee turnover, um, which at its worst was 300 <laughs> percent, um, despite the fact that these are manufacturing jobs paying a decent salary. Um, but by really caring for his employees and really serving the community by, um, you know, providing jobs uh, to these refugees, um, they've actually been able to get that turnover rate down between 5 and 10%. Uh, and the company is doing uh, just so much better. So it's just an amazing transformational story. It was actually written up in Forbes magazine. What um, an exciting story. story. That, yeah. that is really, I mean, that's yeah. an exciting story. That that yeah. kind of move to go from 300% turnover to uh, negligible turnover is an incredible story. And, and what you just said in this, Amy, was, uh, I think, because he's caring for more than just the uh, work environment, that really caring for them as, as humans, as people, yep. that there's a sense of loyalty, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's just a theme that I see as I look at some of these, uh, you know, beyond profit uh, businesses. Um, another great story would be um, Justin Bean. Um, Justin is a young African-American gentleman who is up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And back in 2007, um, he and his brother kind of worked together to start a, a summer youth employment program, um, just providing some part-time jobs for um, inner-city uh, teenagers who um, a lot of them had had, um, you know, involvement in the juvenile justice system. A lot of them were in the foster care system. Just, you know, really kind of high-risk kids that um, needed someone to mentor them and reach out to them and provide them opportunities. So they started very small with this little part-time uh, summer lawn mowing business. Um, but over time, that turned into a business called Building Bridges Professional Services. Um, now it's a full-fledged business with 25 employees. Uh, they do property maintenance and uh, janitorial services and, and landscaping. They're starting to get into some construction now. And um, they continue to have this focus on really trying to provide um, great um, job opportunities for these young adults uh, in neighborhoods where the, uh, employment, the unemployment rate is very, very high uh, and where some of these uh, young adults face real barriers uh, to employment. Um, one of the things that they do at Building Bridges that's uh, really quite special is that as part of their paid job, um, these young adults uh, go through a series of uh, kind of what you would call, I guess, life skills, you know, training workshops. Uh, they learn about anger management. They learn about money management. Uh, they learn about resume writing. Uh, they, they really just, you know, get some skills um, beyond just the technical skills of what they're what they're learning on the job, and and they invest about 160 hours per full-time employee, um, you know, in this kind of educational uh, stuff. And again, this is part of their, you know, paid job. So that's a that's a really special thing. This is a company that's uh, been growing. Um, they hit about just a little over $700,000 in annual revenue uh, this past year. Now, as a, as a company that, um, you know, is not in a high profit, you know, kind of business, um, they are, they, they're not able to provide, you know, really, really high-paying jobs, but they're constantly looking for creative ways 
um, to provide their employees with, um, you know, as, as much as they can, basically. And so recently, one of the things they've been doing is they started a profit-sharing plan, uh, and they also have uh, invested some money into health savings accounts. Um, so they, they're not at a point where they can provide their employees with, um, you know, medical insurance benefits, but they are now uh, putting cash into uh, employees' Um, health savings accounts. So, and uh, they've also started um, at a very modest level, um, trying to put in some money uh, for retirement benefits for their employees. So, Justin uh, is doing a great job um, with these, uh, you know, these teenagers. That, frankly, um, uh, without this opportunity, um, many of them would be going down a very dangerous and destructive path. Uh, destructive to themselves personally, uh, and certainly, you know, destructive to their local uh, communities. Um, so this is an example, I think, of a business that is um, really kind of creating opportunities and um, <laughs> contributing to decreased crime. Um, one of the, another thing about their business that's really neat is they've really tried to. Um, reach out to senior citizens uh, in some of the inner city neighborhoods and uh, offer them affordable lawn care services. Uh, they feel like they, they like the intergenerational, uh, you know, connections between their workers and, and those customers, and also this is a way to, you know, help some of the senior citizens um, that are on, you know, limited incomes but uh, and, and don't have the physical wherewithal to kind of keep up with their properties. Um, so I love what Justin's doing up in uh, up yeah. in French. Amy, we'll all be there sooner or later as uh, senior citizens and uh, maybe not as able to do our own lawns and gardens. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a, a double benefit then, isn't it, that, uh, you know, they're building into the lives of these young people with 160 hours of life skill development and, uh, and then – uh, pointing out to them how important it is to give back to the community and uh, and uh, care for uh, the needs of others at a reasonable price. Yeah, yeah. The last story Very I was good. about um, Wendy Clark. Um, Wendy is a really wonderful gal. Back in 1994, when she was only 20 years old, uh, Wendy launched a, a company in Raleigh-Durham area called Carpe Diem Cleaners. Um, and right from the get-go, um, Wendy had this dream uh, to create a company that would have a positive impact on the community. Um, and she decided to go into the realm of residential um, house cleaning services uh, in part because she thought, well, this is, a, this is the kind of job that I can offer to low-income uh, single moms who maybe will have not had the opportunity to get a lot of education. Uh, there's quite a, a large immigrant community, uh, Latino community in particular, uh, in the Durham area. And uh, she really wanted to create job opportunities uh, for some of these moms that uh, needed, a, needed a decent job but maybe didn't have a, a, you know, a long list of uh, technical skills that they could have to offer. Um, Wendy has, again, I think like Justin, uh, been really creative in trying to think, okay, within my business, 
uh, I have to make enough of a profit to stay in business so I can continue to create jobs. So I can't just pay everybody, you know, a really inflated salary that is not, that has no, that has no relationship, you know, to the, to the realities of, of the market. But how can I, how can I best serve these, uh, these women, even if the jobs uh, are not real high paying? And she's done some really creative things. Um, one of them is that she, has worked out an arrangement by which the company makes a donation to a local food bank, and the food bank provides these vouchers. Um, and every month, uh, the women, in addition to their regular salary, receive a voucher uh, that's good for about a week's worth of groceries, and that helps them kind of stretch their household uh, budget. Um, she's done other things as, as well um, that we can talk about. The other thing that Wendy's done is um, in 2007, she purchased uh, an abandoned building that had been kind of a, it had been a really beautiful historical building. It was the Farmer's Exchange Building. It's a lovely red brick structure. Um, but it had gone into disrepair and it had become kind of a community eyesore. And Wendy bought it and uh, worked on refurbishing it and had folks come in and, and renovate. And she's turned that into uh, a wonderful uh, space for uh, affordable office space for small businesses and uh, and local nonprofit organizations. Uh, she's now up to ten businesses that that are there and four different uh, nonprofits uh, that are there. Uh, and so this is a a very tangible way that she has blessed her community. So she's she's blessed her community with creating a business that created jobs for some women that really needed good jobs. Uh, and uh, she's created this, uh, this opportunity for other small business people like herself um, to, to have decent, affordable, um, you know, office space for the headquarters of their businesses. Um, and so Wendy's been a real blessing to the Raleigh-Durham community. Hmm. Wendy was a, a part of the Triangle Alliance a few years ago, uh, Amy, when I – had the opportunity to serve as their coach for about a year down there. And I, I was uh, very struck with the uh, the work there at that uh, former grain exchange building. They really had done a beautiful job of, uh, of building it into an office space, and it's office space that people can really be proud of. It's not it's not run down. It's, it's really feels brand new but with old <laughs> character, which is always a lot of fun to see yeah. those things brought together. And uh, you, you talked here about two entrepreneurs, Justin Bean and Wendy Clark, and one more established business that changed their model. Let's talk for a minute about uh, where the change in corporate culture really comes from. Let's, let's dig into some of the theology or ideology behind different parts of this movement of businesses doing good. Why, why, do, why do business leaders begin to move in this new direction, Amy? For James, it really had to do with um, the the growing development of his own personal faith. Um, I mentioned that the business had been in a really tough spot some years ago with that really high employee turnover rate. Uh, just um, James was also the victim of a couple of his higher level employees actually embezzled uh, quite a significant amount of money uh, from him. Uh, and uh, that also contributed to difficult times for the business. But through those hard times, he uh, really grew closer to God and actually went on a mission trip with his family to Peru and really kind of had a dramatic experience while he was there 
um, and really felt like God kind of said to him, you know, you've got to change the way you've been running your business. Uh, you haven't really cared about your people. They've just been employees. You know, you haven't really seen them as people. And I want you to go back and really create a uh, an environment that's loving and supportive. And, you know, it's not a uh, it's not an easy thing, and it's taken many years, and it's evolved, and it's had different expressions and trial and error, but, you know, the general trajectory has, has just been for him to say, you know, that's right, I've got to got to care more about the people that, that work here, and that, that ends up taking on very uh, granular expressions, right, with the English classes and have it hiring a full-time chaplain to help these refugees with some of their uh, issues in becoming mainstream uh, citizens. So for some mm-hmm. people, it's a it's a deepened you know personal uh, faith. Um, I think for others, it's a um, you know it's a it's a deep desire to to use their business talents in a way that feels that it has a higher purpose. Um, you know that they just get a lot a lot greater amount of personal satisfaction um, by being in business um, where they they recognize that. Um, you know, profit is a is a really legitimate and and uh, crucial and necessary thing, but it's not the it's not the end goal. Uh, so so the, there's a there's a reward that comes with that higher higher purpose. I think um, some of these uh, these entrepreneurs and business people that I've interviewed, um, they uh, they they have a real sense of confidence that they can do well by doing good. Um, that that doing well and doing good don't have to be sort of polar opposites, uh, but that in mm-hmm. fact, um, really good employee care, really good customer care, uh, creating a, a a service that um, you know really uh, creating a good or a service that really contributes to the community. That that all of these things are things that engender uh, greater customer loyalty and and greater employee uh, loyalty. Um, which are, you know, good for the bottom line. I think another characteristic I've seen is um, this sense of uh, having an abundance mindset, Um, you know, Hmm. uh, really having the sense that um, there's going to be enough, (laughs) Um, that uh, that we don't have to operate out out of fear. Um, Wendy talks about, uh, you know, wanting her, uh, wanting her employees, her house cleaning employees to, to work uh, for customers who, you know, treat them well. Uh, and James Rudder, same thing. And both of them have actually turned down uh, clients or ended contracts with customers in situations where those paying customers um, weren't respecting their people. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think they did that uh, because they were able to say, you know, uh, the right thing to do here is to put my people first and uh, there's going to be enough. You know, saying no mm-hmm. to this customer means that um, some other customer is going to come along. Uh, so there's a real confidence um, about that. So those are some of the characteristics that I've I've seen. There's more, but those are some of them. You know, that's uh, so important. Some of those characteristics you list there, um, the abundance mindset, I, I know, has been written about as having uh, 
compassion that's coupled with capacity. Tom Nelson of Made to Flourish wrote that in his uh, recent book. And then I think the abundance mindset was also written about by uh, the leader of one of the Fortune 300 companies that's based in Minneapolis, Driving Financial. Brad Hewitt writes about that in his book as well with the new money mindset. And uh, so it, that's a that's a key uh, piece, isn't it, that, that uh, we have a sense that there is enough. And, uh, and so let's turn now to, the, to a third question, and that is how can we encourage what some might interpret as a weak signal uh, as the beginning of a movement? How can we encourage businesses to do good and to include it in their business model so that this movement grows significantly? Right now, sometimes I feel like we have to search a little bit hard to find um, you know, the great examples. I think most businesses are trying to do well by their employers and their customers. But uh, what, what can we really do, though, to, to lift up the, uh, the ethos of, of the movement of businesses doing good that, so that they really benefit their local community? What I'm seeing is um, small communities, basically. So I think about a, a national group like Praxis, um, where they are a Christian organization out of New York City, getting entrepreneurs together and really teaching them about the redemptive edge of business and um, getting them into cohorts, learning together, um, talking with one another about their business plans, um, getting mentored by uh, kingdom entrepreneurs who are sort of further along in the journey um, so that they are asking the kinds of questions about how to how to integrate um, this emphasis on community well-being uh, as, as a fundamental part of their business plan. I think about um, you know, a looser community. So Praxis is a very high-touch kind of thing where folks are getting together face-to-face, uh, intensive times of retreat with one another. Um, a looser touch would be something like um, Henry Kastner, uh, a kingdom entrepreneur and business person, has started a, a sort of a virtual community now called faith-driven entrepreneurs, um, and this is a relatively new thing. Uh, so this is an online community with resources, and they've started a podcast, and of course the work that you do, Glenn, with Good Cities uh, mm-hmm. is, is another example of this sort of thing. Um, and then um, I'm excited about some of the things that are happening out of some of the Christian colleges and universities that have business schools and that are trying to think about how to um, both encourage uh, their their business students with this mindset as well as reaching back out to alumni um, who have graduated from the business school and are out there in the marketplace, uh, how they can continue to encourage the integration of, of faith and business and one of the really wonderful new resources that I've seen uh, comes out of Seattle Pacific University, and this is a video curriculum uh, that they have developed. It's called Faith and Co., and um, it's just delightful. They've created a series of films. Each one is maybe in the 10-minute range, and they're each about a different um, business person 
who really does exemplify this notion of businesses doing good. They've also put together now study guides that goes along with the uh, with the videos, which you can watch online for free. And uh, I believe it's I believe it's next January that they're going to start offering a uh, an actual course that uh, business people can sign up for uh, and take uh, remotely uh, with business professors there at mm. uh, at SPU. Um, mm. My friend Eric Stumberg, who is a wonderful kingdom business person in Austin, Texas, um, who owns a company called Tango Internet, um, Eric himself is someone who has created um, a, a wonderful business with uh, a real heart uh, to see every dimension of that business um, really be about the kingdom of God. He has been the funder uh, and great supporter of this Faith & Co. Uh, in part because he started uh, a group of business folks in Austin who get together monthly. And um, he was very excited about what it meant to really try to, in a very robust and, and sort of three, 360-degree way, uh, infuse his business with, with Christian principles. He got together with some other business people that, that wanted to, to do that as well and brought in some of these SBU professors and thought that their what they had to say was so helpful that um, he has gone and uh, helped SPU with this wonderful new resource. So those are a few things I've seen that are that are out there that I think are doing a, a good job of trying to get, um, you know, people of like-mindedness together, uh, learning, studying, challenging one another, um, you know, doing peer-to-peer learning, um, finding those examples, um, hmm. and inspiring each other to to just keep going deeper uh, in this kind of work. Right. For those of you who are on the call today, a uh, couple of things that I think it'd be worthwhile to know: we record all of these calls and we post them under the resources section at GoodCities.net. And uh, currently we have about a dozen calls that have been recorded and are posted up there from uh, groups like Caribou Coffee and uh, from small entrepreneurial uh, efforts. And one of the things that Amy just brought up that I think is so lovely is you just heard about uh, Eric Sundberg with Tango Internet down in Austin, Texas. And and, uh, the two things that I heard him doing was he's developing – a cohort right there in Austin, in the Austin context, so that the business leaders aren't just dealing with this um, in, a, in the abstract, but they see one another once a month. It's kind of an incarnational gathering because they see one another, they encourage one another, and, and then they develop their businesses in ways that help their employees succeed and their customers succeed as well. And uh, to me, that's the exciting thing. And some of you who are entrepreneurs on the line, put your entrepreneurial hat on when you think about these cohorts that you might gather in your community, in your context, to encourage them in uh, in the businesses doing good and solving critical social issues in uh, cities and communities. Um, if you want to reach me, you can always reach me at Glenn with two N's, G-L-E-N-N, at goodcities.net. Amy, how can people get in touch with you, though? Because I know people would love to be in touch with you about some of the things you're doing. I have a number of different websites. The, the most uh, 
relevant one for this conversation is uh, vocationalstewardship.org. So www.vocationalstewardship.org. Um, <clears throat> it's actually a little bit out of date. I haven't had a chance to get in there and update some some things on that. But that has some good resources for folks. Um, and then uh, there's also a way to contact me through that. Great, Amy. That's that's so helpful. Well, I'm going to uh, go ahead and try to open the phone lines. I'd like to encourage everyone, if you're not asking a question, I'd like to, I'd like to encourage you to um, to to just uh, keep your phone on mute until you ask a question. We want to prevent any kind of echoing or interference because the call is being recorded. So uh, please be sensitive to that. I'm uh, I'm going to open all the phone lines right now. One moment, please. Okay, so. All participants are unmuted right now, and if you'd like to ask a question, uh, we'd like to ask you to unmute your phone if you've muted it there locally where you are, and then ask it, you know, identify yourself, where you're from, and, uh, and then ask Amy your question. Who'll be first? Hey, this is uh, Dylan calling from upstate New York. Hey, Dylan. Go ahead, Dylan. Hey, uh, hi, uh, Dr. Amy. I've we've had a couple conversations over the years, actually, uh, and uh, been able to connect with you a little bit. Um, so the question is, um, I've been starting uh, something called Missio Ventures, which is um, uh, I've been working with my friends at Proxis actually, and um, kind of getting in the, the very early stage of an entrepreneur's journey. So these are aspiring entrepreneurs who are just starting out, they're just thinking through their business model. And um, the curriculum we're trying to develop, uh, this will be an online either membership site or platform, but then coaching, and then maybe one day we hope to like gather people like Proxis does. But um, around the curriculum of both vocation and venture. So um, uh, my question is, do you have any insight on how to make sure we connect those things so that, uh, in my thinking, it's a foundation of vocation, calling, purpose, identity type things, and then it gets into practical venture, like how do you start a business, where are the first steps, business ideas, all those things. Any insight on that? Well, I think that, um, you know, people talk about how entrepreneurs are kind of certain types of people, right? Um, not everyone is sort of wired to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so helping people to figure that out about themselves and then to kind of connect them to the kind of theological categories, so to speak. So um, one of the great things about entrepreneurs is they take risks, right? And um, I think that helping them to understand that uh, I think Christians are also supposed to take risks and and sort of a theology of being willing to take risks is, is a really good thing to affirm, to, to show them that, you know, Parable of Talents is a great great example uh, of, of that um, because we we as Christians ought to be, uh, you know, not, not crazy risk takers but prudential risk takers because of our faith, because we believe that God's got our back because um, we believe that the world's not going to, you know, come to an end um, if we fail. 
Um, so sort of the, the great Christian doctrines of grace and um, God's faithfulness and the ability to take risks and you don't need to fear uh, failing, um, I think are all wonderful things to kind of underscore uh, for for entrepreneurs. I think that um, entrepreneurs also struggle. Um, glad glad that you spoke the word identity because in particular, I think for entrepreneurs, even more than kind of your average Christian business person working in an established firm, uh, the entrepreneur, you know, the idea for their business is their baby. Um, and their identity can be really super wrapped up into that. And if uh, your baby dies, then you just feel like you're a terrible person. <laughs> and uh, mm. again, uh, really grounding people in uh, their identity is in Christ and uh, it's not in their performance and, um, you know, really helping people to have a sense of, uh, of, uh, of the biblical idea of consecration. You know, this is, uh, this is this thing that I, this, you've given me kind of this idea and it's really important to me and I really want to make it work, but I'm going to, I'm going to really consecrate it to you and entrust it um, to you. Um, so I think that there, I guess what I'm saying is there are, particular elements of Christian faith um, to look for um, as um, being especially relevant to people on this entrepreneurial uh, journey. Uh, And I think concepts like uh, risk and, um, you know, failing and identity and consecration, uh, all of those are are particular faith concepts to kind of dig deeply into um, in, in order to help um, help these new entrepreneurs. Great. That's really helpful. Thank you. If you have a question, please uh, unmute your phone and go ahead, identify yourself and ask Amy your question. Hi, this is Mark Claire. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. This is Mark LeClaire calling from Akron, Ohio area. And uh, I'm wondering uh, if you've seen any examples. We're talking about how to um, – Glenn was asking about how to encourage and promote and build up this idea of businesses seeking ways to do good in their community. And I'm wondering, have we seen any examples of city governments, for example, uh, that have – found ways to either recognize or reward uh, businesses within their uh, within their city limits who are doing substantial good for the community in ways that would be incentive for other businesses to join in. So whether that be some type of tax incentive, some type of community recognition, um, anything like that from a, from a city government. Is that something you've seen? Um. I'm not an expert on that by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so some of my replies about that would be generic. So so just generically, I'm certainly uh, aware of the whole notion of enterprise zones, uh, right? So uh, local governments, uh, state governments creating uh, particular geographic areas targeted for private investment and providing incentives tax and otherwise uh, for businesses that would choose to, um, you know, be in those uh, be in those locales. 
also generically, I believe there are some um, some public policies um, that have to do with hiring uh, ex-offenders and uh, receiving some kind of tax credit or tax deduction, business tax deduction, uh, as a result of, of creating those job opportunities. So there are there are sometimes these public policies that do incentivize uh, movements that I think are are worthwhile. Um, and then I guess what I've seen more specifically would be, you know, different sort of individual um, local government entities in very in very particular uh, fields um, incentivizing or rewarding very particular kinds of things. So, for example. Um, you know, some local the government division of environmental quality um, providing grants for businesses to uh, adapt their technologies or their waste uh, management practices, um, you know, things things of that sort that that achieve the the ultimate end of of becoming a greener uh, business. Um, there are examples of that sort of thing. Um, so I do think it's worth um, I do think it's worth a business person learning about what 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 incentives might be available um, from their local government, um, whether that has to do with you know hiring folks. Um, there are wonderful um, in a lot of you know larger urban areas. These city governments will often have wonderful um, summer summer youth employment type things. So businesses that want to um, uh, create an opportunity for uh, young adults to get summer jobs. Um, sometimes there are uh, government programs where you can get reimbursed um, for hiring those those young people. So there definitely are those sorts of public policy incentives. And uh, I think it is really worth um, any particular business's time to look into what are the specifics uh, in their own city um, for, you know, things of this ilk. If, if I might, uh, just as a follow-up comment, I appreciate that putting all those things in context of my question. Uh, there's a gentleman uh, in our area who was formerly homeless and he's going about a real grassroots movement to uh, on social media to raise money, build a food pantry, try to set up housing for the homeless. He's doing all kinds of things. But uh, I'm thinking an organization who's interested in seeing this type of movement uh, increase in their city could potentially put up something like an X Prize and say, we're looking for solutions to homelessness in the community, and we're willing to give this award to whatever business can best contribute a solution, something like that, perhaps. Yeah, that that whole sort of movement of competitions of that of that sort, um, I am seeing more of that kind of thing. Those competitions um, more often are privately sponsored, um, so a think tank might do that. Um, my the think tank I work for is actually involved in that sort of work now. Um, a, uh, a university, uh, you see a lot of that coming out of uh, universities 
Um, but I think there are some examples. In fact, it seems like I just recently read something about Chicago, um, that some city government division within uh, the city of Chicago had uh, put on some kind of a competition uh, for for that sort of thing. So, yes, I think it's a great, uh, I think it's a really promising uh, kind of a methodology. Um, and it's probably happening in more places than, uh, you know, I'm, sh I'm sure it's happening in more places than I'm, that I'm aware of. Uh, hi, Dr. Sherman. Question. Go ahead. Um, hi, Dr. Sherman. Uh, this is Jacob Baldwin from Indianapolis. I have a two-part question. Um, the first part is, are you aware of any national or even international efforts to quantify the aggregate impact of all of these different community initiatives? Um, and then whether you are or aren't, uh, do you think that such an effort would be effective either as like an ecumenical witness of just the church's impact uh, in the world or as a, as a way to inspire more people uh, and workers towards uh, various faith and work initiatives? Well, that's a great question. And uh, after the second part of the question, I would certainly agree that it's a, it would be a great idea if somebody were able to pull it off. I think it'd be very, very difficult to do, but um, Definitely. Um, I'm all about telling more and more and more of these stories. In fact, the new book that I'm just beginning to work on is motivated in part um, by the desire to kind of to broadcast, uh, not in a not in a arrogant way, but uh, to broadcast um, what some of these great efforts are, so that folks can uh, see what people of faith are doing and how that is bringing great contribution. So I do think it would be a great idea, and I do think it would inspire other people to to action as well as um, accomplish, um, you know, the whole notion of uh, what Jesus talks about, you know, people seeing our good deeds and praising their Father in heaven. Uh, on the first part of your question, is it actually happening? Is Has there been any national effort or international effort to quantify it? Um, that's more difficult. Um, what there is out there, I would say, uh, there are certainly organizations that are studying the the general concept of social enterprise, some of which is faith-driven, um, some of which is not, um, and all of which is often doing a lot of uh, good for the common good. So there are different individual organizations that um, are are researching um, and trying to compile you know, um, examples of different um, enterprises of this of this sort. Um, the International Business as Mission movement um, is is a movement also that is trying to write about examples of these things and and tell stories. I am not familiar with uh, an organization that has is actually taken on this really. Um, ginormous <laughs> uh, mission of, as a research group, trying to quantify uh, all of this going on. Uh, I think that there are, uh, in academic circles, um, I think there are efforts happening at different um, business schools and the like where they're doing things like um, counting up the number of 
B corporations uh, counting up the 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 number uh, the, the 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 revenue dollars uh, created by you know different kinds of social enterprises. So there's pockets of this kind of research that that are going on, um, but I don't know of a sort of single centralized source where you could find out, you know, hey, uh, X percentage of GDP in the United States is produced by these kinds of uh, businesses, and I think it would be pretty difficult to to to, to do that. Um, probably it would have to be. Any kind of an, a real aggregate would have to probably start out with a um, kind of a collection of here in this particular city, this is what's happening, and now add that to here's what's happening in this other city, and here's what's happening in this other city, and kind of one hmm. at a time counting up counting up the cities. Um, but yeah, it would be it would be really great, and I think that the numbers would be quite significant. Um, but I don't. I don't know of studies of that of that ilk. Amy, let me let me jump in on that for one moment here because it's a it's such an important question. Um, when we look at cities through good cities eyes, a lot of times we'll just take the Nielsen markets and we'll look at uh, the the uh, metropolitan statistical area that's at the core of every Nielsen market. Um, it's already divided up in the whole nation that way. And, uh, and if you were to look at the Im impact of, uh, of companies, you could do that a number of ways. And uh, one way might be to, for instance, uh, look at some of the major corporations that are in each of those MSAs. Here in the Twin Cities, for instance, Caribou Coffee has a Do Good. Oh, it's a whole project they, they have called Do Good in which they're really engaging their people and serving their communities in significant ways. And they add up the value of, of all of their service. Um, one project you could look at online, which is a little bit of a different uh, approach, but nonetheless, I think valuable. There's a project called the Halo Project that was done in uh, in Toronto, um, led by Mike Wood Daly. And uh, you can look it up online if you just put in the Halo Project value. And, and this has to do with valuing. Toronto, Toronto's uh, faith congregations, they were trying to see what value in, in social services congregations bring. A similar study could be done with uh, the corporations in any given city or community. And you might even start with the Chamber of Commerce because they're often measuring the impact, the economic impact that's going on with the companies that are working in each chapter of the Chamber of Commerce. So there's there's some ways that you might get after this and just uh, take a look at that. Uh, who has the next question? Give us your name and where you're from. Uh, this is Neil Cox, also from Indianapolis, and uh, Jacob didn't put me up to this. We don't know each other yet. Uh, but I, I very much want to uh, let's key off of what he was asking about, some metrics of impact. Um, and Glenn, I know you're, you're very familiar with cities all over the country. Uh, where are the best uh, models, and this is for Amy or Glenn, uh, the best models of, of collaborative Christian business folks collaborating tightly with uh, both the church and parachurch community, and especially, say, from a, a very high-level perspective. That is, here in Indy, we've got 770,000 homes in our MSA. 
Uh, and the question is, you know, how, how are we going to measure progress in getting the Great Commission, Great Commandment done, including the, the business sector? Uh, either of you or both of you want to speak to that? Sure. <clears throat> Two cities that come to my mind, um, one would be Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati uh, is the location of probably the largest um, marketplace ministry in the country. It's called At Work on Purpose, or AWOP. It's run by a really wonderful Christian gentleman named Chuck Proudfit. He's a Harvard MBA. And um, they have over 6,000 active members. And um, it's quite a sophisticated um, organization with a with a kind of interesting uh, multi-sector uh, feel to it because there are Christian business people that are involved and there are also congregational leaders um, and nonprofit leaders that are involved. And they... Um, it's kind of like a whole series of spinning plates. And Chuck is spinning a bunch of these plates and he's bringing the different plates together. And um, throughout Work on Purpose, they have a whole variety of initiatives where uh, people from these different sectors are building relationships with one another and in targeted areas of the city trying to figure out how they can work together for the common good. Um, so Cincinnati is a place I think there's some exciting things going on. The second place I would mention would be Phoenix. Um, Phoenix has uh, a wonderful uh, discipleship, multi-church discipleship initiative called the Surge School. Um, and Surge was originally started by three different churches that came together and really had a heart for whole life discipleship and wanted to help uh, Christians in the city um, really have a, you know, overcome the sacred-secular divide, have a sense that their faith is supposed to impact absolutely every aspect of their lives, uh, and particularly their uh, work lives, their vocational lives. So Surge came together, and they have a, have a program where um, um, hundreds and hundreds of people have gone through this nine-month uh, discipleship uh, school called the Surge School. And uh, the participants come from a variety of different churches, and um, they they get together on a on a regular basis. They've had over a thousand graduates now from the from the Surge School, and um, they really try to uh, cultivate within uh, that uh, initiative um, a real sense that these uh, this discipleship is not just a matter of your own personal growth although that's important, uh, as well as your own personal sort of discernment about how to apply your faith and work. But, but, but really this notion of what does it mean to be a, a contributor to the common good uh, of the place in which you live. So they have graduated all these folks that, you know, really have a deeper biblical theological foundation um, for their own sense of work and mission. They have a deep understanding of God's mission in the world being to renew all things. And they have a real heart and desire to understand and impact their community for good. And so now what's beginning to happen as an outgrowth of that is that you're seeing different kinds of um, kind of groups coming together. So, for example, there's a group called the Camelback Society, which is a group of largely surge alumni, although I think that the group includes, you know, others that ne haven't necessarily gone through surge. 
um, these are business folks, um, mostly in the real estate world, uh, and they've come together to sort of say, okay, um, what does it look like to be Christian real estate uh, professionals? Uh, and they've been involved in some collaborative ventures doing commercial commercial real estate development in economically distressed areas of the city uh, to try to breathe, you know, new life into some places. Now what's happening as well is that some of the churches whose pastors uh, have been part of Surge or whose congregants have been part of Surge, some of them are deciding, you know, gosh, you know, here we all are, this group of churches in this particular uh, region of the city, you know, we're in the northwest corner, you're in the southeast corner, or wherever. Maybe we should be getting together and working collaboratively to to impact our city for good. And what would it look like for us to do that together? And so now they have five clusters that have been formed, um, and these different pastors and congregational leaders um, meet up in these different clusters. And they are trying to think as a group about how to impact the city uh, for good. The whole cluster thing is relatively new, um, been around for maybe about a year or so. But uh, but there's some they're getting some you know initial traction and uh, so so Phoenix and and Cincinnati would be two places that I'm I'm kind of watching and and thinking there's some good stuff going on. You know we're uh, we're coming toward the end of the call, but um, Neil, I feel like I should comment on this too. Um, four cities come to mind for me, and I won't go into quite as much depth. And by the way, Chuck Proudfit sits on Good Cities Board of Directors and informs us a great deal about how a city can really integrate uh, a good Christian world and life view in, into the passion and calling of leaders in business. And uh, he keeps this right, right at the forefront of our thinking all the time. But in Modesto, California, uh, cross-sector collaborations are being spun off through a monthly meeting that they have at, uh, at one of the large churches downtown. It's called Catalyst Modesto, and it's facilitated by Marvin Jacobo of uh, City Ministry Network. And every month they'll have a business, government, or uh, educational leader or philanthropist speak to the group about uh, a, a community, a critical community concern that, that they're in the process of addressing and others get invited into uh, helping with that kind of collaborative approach in, in addressing some of the uh, causes of some of the uh, pressing problems that they face in Modesto. Catalyst Modesto has become just a great center uh, where over 150 folks will gather each month just uh, for breakfast and to hear what, what, uh, what, what another's viewpoint is and how they might spin this off. In Seattle, they have a breakfast that I get an email about every month. It's called the Kairos Breakfast that is focusing on business leaders. In Austin, Texas, Rich Carney um, is leading Austin Bridge Builders Association, or ABBA, and they have a business leaders breakfast every month as well. And then some of you have heard about the uh, New Canaan Society out of New Canaan, Connecticut, and they've spun off a number of chapters around the country, including a very lively chapter down in Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina. So. God's doing some great things through his uh, people with a, uh, you know, with, with a sense of how do our businesses um, build Jesus' vision of life into our companies, into our customer experiences, and into the communities where we serve. Well, Amy, we thank you so much, and I thank you to all the callers who've called in. We'll be back on again next month 
on the third Thursday of October, again next month. I'll, I'm still uh, working on getting the guests for that one, but I'll send an email out, and uh, and and all you have to do is respond say, saying you're coming. We'll make sure you have the uh, the uh, phone number to call in. If you want to be in touch with Amy, Amy has given us vocationalstewardship.org as a place where you can get in touch with her. If you want to be in touch with us at Good Cities or hear some of our previous calls, go to goodcities.net and uh, look at the resource section where you'll find podcasts and also you'll find recordings of the businesses doing good call. Amy, if it's if it's all right with you, I'd like to pray for you as we go today. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Okay. God, I thank you for Amy, for the research that she's doing, for the ways she teaches and encourages us, us all. I thank you, God, for what she's doing through the Sagamore Institute. And we pray, Lord, that you would watch over her and strengthen her um, and uh, and help her to be able to continue to serve us all and uh, and to, to be that kind of educator and connector that you've really made her to be. Thank you, God, for the blessing of businesses doing good as a call that we have each month to encourage us to live out uh, our our faith and sense of calling through the work that we do in our everyday lives. Fill us with passion and encourage us as we seek to serve you right where we are and incarnate your will here in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for amen. joining us. Amy, go ahead. I was just saying amen and thank you. Okay, great. Have a great day, folks. God bless you.